Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here. Jeff Fry is going to be my guest today. Played in the big leagues for over eight years, mainly with the Rangers and the Red Sox is when I remember you going throughout the major league experience. But, Jeff, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming on today. Uh, good, Chad. How are you, man? I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So I, what I was going to tell you is we're going to talk – I'm going to let you share your story about what you did in the big leagues. But I think we got to dive right into you become an Internet sensation over the last few weeks, few months, and talking about hitting in regards to how what you were taught and what a lot of us were taught in the big leagues, in pro ball, and what we're seeing online now with a lot of these, quote, these hitting gurus. So tell me about your story. Why, why did you start doing Shigong hitting? <laughs> Man, it was just uh, it, it, kind of crazy. It just kind of started as a joke. I was in the backyard and goofing around with my son and I'd seen a video um there's two or three scouts that I talked to on a daily basis we're kind of on a little group text and uh we, we all played and we all um good friends and we sent each other these silly videos that we see at least we think they're silly videos of what people are you know teaching kids nowadays and so I imitated one on the video had my son um film me and I put on Twitter just goofing around and my buddy uh says man dude you got 400 views i was like cool that's cool in like an hour you know and then he's like dude you got 4,000 views i was like are you kidding me <laughs> i had no idea i mean really don't do much on social media at least till like three months ago right and uh and then the backlash i got from a lot of the guys i guess teaching this type of stuff i mean it was pretty ruthless you know they're attacking my sons and calling me names and and they don't know me well enough, but that all that did was spur me on to, I, I had to make at least one more video. And then the next video got 80,000 views or something like that. And then people start in it. And when I said the she gone the first time, it was not scripted. None of the videos I make are scripted. I stand there. I was leaning in my phone up against the chair, video myself in the backyard. And I don't know where she gone came from. I just, you know, I was a big fan of Hawk Harrelson the White Sox yep. and love some of his calls and funny things he said. He used to say, he gone or something like that. And <laughs> so it just came out, she gone and everybody seemed to like it. And now it's like, it's taken on a life of its own. Yeah. It's been funny. I, I mean, if you sit there and follow, you have channel, is it your own page now on Facebook? What, where can people follow all these videos? Well, hopefully by tomorrow we'll be uh, have our uh, she gone hitting website set up. Believe it or not, so we're, then, we're going uh, big here. We're going big, baby. Go big or go home. And then, uh, you know, I originally originally I didn't have much of a presence on social media, and I went and saw Steve Springer. You know who Steve Springer is? Yeah. So Steve yeah. goes around and talks to high schools and colleges, and and I've heard him twice, and I actually participated in one of his. You know, one of the times he went and talked to a local high school and I was like, man, I'd like to do that. I'd like to go around and talk. And, you know, I, I always kind of get nervous before I give a speech. But once I give it, most people say I do a good job. So I was like, I, I kind of like to do that. Um, so I said, I have to develop more of a presence on social media to get people to know who I am. And you know, I didn't play. I haven't played for 20 years. So I have to kind of reinvent who I am. And um, that was the start of getting on Twitter and all that stuff. And. I mean, it's just been insane now. Now it's like Facebook. I have 4,000 followers in the last month and Twitter. I maxed <laughs> you're, out Facebook. You're almost maxed Twitter. out on Facebook, right? I, I am maxed out. And, and um, 
then I do a little bit of stuff on um, Instagram. The Instagram, uh, the videos have to be, I think, a minute or shorter. And some of my videos go over that, so I can't put them on there. But I think the biggest breakthrough in this was when uh, somebody put one of my videos on TikTok. Nick. Nick um, Duarte or Duarte, who writes for Forbes magazine. Okay. Okay. He put my video on TikTok, goofing around, and started reading the responses and was like, I got to get a hold of this guy. You know, I got to see what, who this guy is that uh, everybody's talking about. And um, he said he got two million views, a million views in two days, 2,500 new followers the first day. And he reached out to me. And next day we talked, he did an interview, he put it in Forbes magazine. And now I got local TV stations, um, radio stations, TV stations, everybody's coming over. That's awesome. That's so cool. I mean, it's crazy. And so I want to dive into like you were saying this was getting kind of serious on Twitter, like you were getting threats, right? And now were these threats coming from essentially the, maybe the instructors you were disagreeing with, or was it actually people that are backing up their way, their, maybe their philosophy? Hold on, my dog's barking. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know exactly where the threat came from. I have a pretty good idea where the threat came from, but it was basically people that I was using their videos as examples in, in my videos. So I see one of their videos hitting with a fishing net, made fun of that video. And next thing I know, I get text messages, uh, a phone call from an unknown number, leaving a threatening message. And it's like, Man, these guys are taking this stuff too serious. I mean, I'm, you can tell in my videos, I'm joking around, can right. you not? And they can't take a joke. And then when they start, you know, it's not just me. I mean, there's a lot of former players that have participated in these in these conversations with these guys and it's all they're doing is trying to belittle guys that played in the big leagues like we were all terrible and none of them ever even played professional baseball i mean it's absurd right so so you feel like they were like these and we don't need to name any names we don't need to do anything like that but you feel like they're in a way they're crossing a line where they're saying look like even though i didn't play your your way might be wrong and my way is the right way and i'm going to teach kids now is that kind of how yeah, that's what they're teaching, that what we did is wrong. The game, we both know that the game has changed. It's more of a, you know, all or nothing type of game now. And guys are just trying to lift the ball and hit home runs and either walk, strike out, or hit a home run. It seems like, the, you know, it's kind of the way the trend of the game, which is a lot different, especially, I know I'm older than you, but especially when I came up, you know, I was told not to hit the ball in the air. I would get yelled at for hitting the ball in the air. So I tried to hit line drive or ground ball every time. You know, I don't think it's fair that I'm criticized for being a, a, a line drive hitter when that's what they coached me to be, you know, and I did it to the best of my ability. And now they say that I couldn't even play in the big leagues in 2020. Right. And so it, it, I think it's just the, the attacks on, on guys that played and know how hard this game is. You know how hard this game is. You can't just sit there and hit off a tee in your, in your, basement and say you figured the secret out to hitting yeah no doubt it's and what i'd like to get into with you is ex exactly because you know the, if young kids are listening to this they're looking at something online and there might be a cue where you meant you, you talk a lot about you got to get that front elbow up right <laughs> get the backside to collapse completely the opposite of what we were all taught so what the opposite for you what were some cues that you were taught whether it was swing down through the ball like what worked for you 
Well, I think we over-exaggerate. I, I hear a lot of stuff about chopping down on the ball. You know, I used to use that uh, when I was coaching my kids in Little League. It's like you're chopping down like you're chopping a tree just to get that motion of them swinging down through the ball when actually you're not trying to cut the ball in half. Right. You're just trying to create, at least in your mind, the idea that your, your hands are high and you're swinging down through the ball and keep your bat in that zone as long as you can and then finish high. In the videos, it's doing the complete opposite, obviously, except, you know, a few of them I said, well, this is actually how I did it. Let's see if this works, as right. opposed to drop and collapse and, you know, uh, lift and separate and just swinging for the fences. I mean, I can understand how a guy who's, you know, six, seven, 270 pounds wants to hit the ball in the air every time, but it wouldn't work for me at five, nine, 160. <laughs> I'd had a lot of flyouts and I'd have been in a, a, a 4A player. Right. Yeah, it's that's what's kind of interesting about it and why we I think we need to start having more conversations about it because kids are watching. And video is so accessible to these young kids. I have a kid that's 17, you know, and I I work with a lot of kids. I'm a I'm a scout now and and we talk about it. And I I think it's a conversation and most of the old school guys that I spoke with, I just spoke with Aaron Rowan the other day. Um mm -hmm. he's really upset with one of the online coaches. It's kind of been yep. going off on him. But it's interesting that when you start diving into bashing or tearing down a big leaguer that played in the big leagues for a long time and saying you're completely wrong with what you did and you had as much success as you did, we're now at a whole new level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know the saying, you, don't, you can't big league a big leaguer, right? <laughs> and, you know, I used this example the other day. I, like when I was in the minor leagues, and I was around big leaguers, my, like my first big league camp. I was afraid to talk to those guys. Yeah. I was like, I'm not even like allowed to talk to those guys. Those guys are up here. They're at the level that I hope that I can get to someday. But until then, I mean, I'm just supposed to just keep my mouth shut and sit in the bench and do my job. And hopefully one day I'll turn into one of those guys. But to see guys, you know, that didn't get out of D2 college, telling big leaguers who played 10, 12 years in the big leagues that they're no good. And that's just kind of crazy. Yeah. So, so I remember you mostly from playing with the Rangers and the, and the Red Sox. And then mm -hmm. I think later you were with the, with the Blue Jays and the Rockies, but on those teams. So, so let's talk about the Rangers you played with, I'm assuming Rafael Palmero, Juan Gonzalez and Yvonne Rodriguez. Right. I'm yep. sure you, I'm sure you discussed hitting with those guys. What did those guys do? Oh, I mean, we were all different. And, and I mean, those are just a few of the guys I played with the Rangers. I mean, Julio Franco, Palmero, Juan Gonzalez, Ruben Sierra, Pudge Rodriguez, Dean Palmer. Um, that's, a, that's a squad right there. I mean, <laughs> I mean we, we were one of the best hitting teams in baseball. And everybody did it different. You know, Juan Gonzalez was the best RBI guy I ever played with. If there was a guy on base – you knew Juan Gonzalez was going to drive him in. And Ruben Sierra had a huge leg kick, and Pudge had a leg kick, and Palmero just had a little toe tap. And, and Will Clark, you know, we all remember Will Clark's famous cape swing, you know, and Dean Palmer was the, the natural man. He had the quickest hands I'd ever seen. And, I mean, everybody, Julio with his crazy batting stance. Mm -hmm. So everybody did different, you know, but everybody was in a good hitting position when the ball was in a strike zone. And, and yeah. one of the things that I tell people all the time, and I don't, I don't think they really understand this when they ask me my theory on hitting, was like I looked for a fastball and I tried not to miss it. 
Uh, you see so many guys who fell off their pitch. Yeah. I mean, I was such a good contact hitter that usually it kind of worked against me at times because sometimes I would swing at a bad pitch and put it in play when I should have not. I should have swung and missed, but I was right. so used to trying to make contact that I would, you know, maybe a slider low and away and I'd roll over it where I'd have been better off just swinging and missing and still hadn't had a chance, you know. But, I mean, generally if I swung, I hit it most times. Yeah. So when you started, I think one of your best – kind of my favorite part of your whole video system is your paper certified hitting guru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love how in some, some of your videos it, it falls down, yeah. right? It, it, it's so awesome. So how often, how many videos have you done? And then how many, do you plan on making more? Like just whatever comes to mind with your creativity? Yeah. And, and the, the certified hitting guru box is actually a litter box. Uh, uh, we found a feral cat about a year ago. Now he's a member of our family, but my girlfriend also uses it as a mop, a mop bucket. So it's, it's multi, multi-purpose. Uh, I think I've probably made 12 or 13 videos so far and I plan on making more and it's, you know, it's not like I release one every Wednesday or a certain date, you yeah. know, it's just kind of like, I'll be sitting at home and go, I'm going to make a video, everybody inside. Cause I don't want them out there when I'm making it. Cause I don't need the pressure of them watching yeah. me mess up <laughs> a lot a of pressure before I edit it and, you know, and, and make it, but there's no script. There's never been a script. I just kind of stand there. You know, sometimes I'll have a, a Rangers Jersey or blue Jays or Rockies yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I really want to do one in Spanish because I have a Jersey from my team in, um, in Venezuela, my winter ball team. So I'm going to get with Benji Gill, who's a good friend of mine and translate for me so I can maybe do one in Spanish at some point. That's awesome. I, I think anytime we can make fun of the game in a way like Domingo Ayala, right? He's, mm -hmm. if you follow his stuff, he's just hilarious. Makes you laugh. Yeah. He asked me to be his agent. Did he? Oh, great. Yeah. About five years ago, about five years ago, I saw him at the winter meetings and he had his white and red, his long sleeve t-shirt and he was walking around in his uniform at the winter meetings. And at, at the time I thought, you know, I, when my kids were in little league, I was like, Every time, you know, pop the chain, all this stuff. And Domingo, he's so popular. But then it seemed like there was a lull where he wasn't as popular. I thought maybe it was going away. So I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I got kind of got to focus on the players I represent and not right. go into an avenue I know nothing about. So. Sure, sure. So let's talk about that. So you, you're now an agent. Tell us, how did you get into becoming an agent? Um. Well, when I retired, I, I really wanted to stay in the game. I had opportunities in scouting. Um, Thad Levine, when I was with the Rockies, Thad Levine was assistant GM. Now he's GM of uh, the Twins. He called me up after the season, after my last year, and says, hey, you have any interest in scouting? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. And what, what do you got in mind? And I said, how many days a week would I have to be at a field? He said, probably six. I was like, no chance. <laughs> I can't do it. And then Sandy Johnson, who was with the Mets uh, at you know, used to be the Ranger assistant GM, said if I ever wanted to get back on the field and coaching, give him a call. Man, you, you know, riding those buses in the minor leagues, man, it's just, you know, you played as long as I did, 15 years, I don't know that I could go back and do that and be 100% in, into it, you know. So had an opportunity to become an agent, and I did it. And the reason I did it was because I kind of felt at the end of my career, my agent bailed on me. And he was my agent. I had had a couple agents. Uh, when I first signed, I had an agent that really didn't do anything. And when I got to the big leagues, I hired a big company, Speakers of Sport. And 
at the very end of my career, they were purchased by SFX. And um, then they had a breakup. So I ended up having to stay with SFX because speakers had a non-compete. Well, the guy that was my guy, I'm not going to mention his name. Um, I had nine years and 15 days in the big leagues. And I'm sitting at home when the start, when spring training starts. And I gave him a call and I was like, what's up, man? I mean, I mean, do you have anything for me? He's like, nah, I'm pretty busy with arbitration cases. Why don't you make some phone calls, call independent league teams and this and that. I'm like, what? <laughs> now all of a sudden, what do I need you if I got to do, if I got to make the phone calls, you know? So I uh, fired him and hired another guy. And, um, but I always remembered that, that if, if I became an agent, I wouldn't do that to my guys. You know, I mean, you can't just be there when everything's great. And they're, you know, they're on top of the world and they're paying you a bunch of money and they go down the tubes and you can't bail on them. And so that's why I became an agent. I, I could tell you the exact same story. You know, once you become a prospect, then you're maybe you get a little time in the big leagues, then you're now a suspect. You know, yeah. it's easy to move on to the grass is greener with the other players, more money, things like that. So that's awesome. So you've been doing that now for 18 years? Yeah, I started in 2003, 2003. And didn't have a clue what I was doing, you know, and um, just know, you know, the relationship I had with my agent. And, and um, it's kind of funny. I just um, played with the Rockies the year before. Um, and Darren Oliver was my old teammate. Um, and, you know, I played against him and good friends. And he was represented by Boris. And he was kind of in that stage I just talked about. You know, he had nine years in the big leagues. And it's kind of on the downside, it looked like. And he actually went to winter ball with nine years in the big leagues, which most guys won't do, you know. And he said, man, I need you, I need you to get me a job. And I was like, I can't, Darren. I said, you're represented by Scott Morse. He goes, well, stay on the line. I want you to hear me fire him. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, call me back if you fire him, whatever. He calls me back five minutes later. says, all right, let him voicemail. See what you can do. Within 48 hours, we had him a job with the Rockies. Wow. Um, because – I knew some people there from when I played there and their exact thing they said was Boris had called earlier in the off season when we didn't have interest in Darren, but some things fell through um, and he never called us back. And we'd love to give Darren an opportunity. And he played nine more years after that. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. I think everybody's come across down Darren Oliver at some point. So that's oh man, the dude had like five years in a row with an ERA in the twos. Yeah, you know, yeah. and he he reinvented himself. He came up as a power pitcher with a nasty curveball, and then he lost some velocity. Went to Colorado. Bob Apodaca taught him a cutter, and I mean, he just started carving dudes up and throwing strikes. And I mean, he he probably made twenty million dollars after he hired us. That's great. That's really so, cool. That was cool. Well, that's good. So tell us about. Like your story, like how you got drafted, how you got to the big leagues, maybe some your, the grind you had to go through, and 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 was there some mental aspects of that, uh, maybe the ups and downs that you had to go through there. It's a long story, man. <laughs> you sure we got you time. We got time. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I'll go to when I got drafted. I was, um, you know, I went to junior college for two years, and I went to southeastern Oklahoma State in Oklahoma, um, NAI school for two years, and set the school record in hitting my senior year and all first team all American and thought I was done. I mean, I was a small guy and wasn't particularly fast and no scouts were ever at our games. 
And so um, one of my teammates who was getting scouted um, by the Reds mainly got an invitation to a Rangers tryout camp. And he said he didn't want to go. And I said, well, let me have your invitation. So I took his invitation. And our coach called uh, Doug Gassaway, the scout for the Rangers, and said, Benny Culver's not coming, um, but Jeff Fry's going to come in his place. And he said he's not going to stand out at a tryout camp. He's not that type of player. So sure enough, I went to tryout camp. I'm sure you've been to tryout camps before, or at least you know how they run them. You know, you get there, you run the 60, and you take your ground balls or whatever, then you hit. So I did all that, and now it's time to hit. And um, basically, I just – you know, live BP off a pitcher. You're not hitting off batting practice. This guy is trying to make the team too, you know. So this guy is airing it out. And I faced a guy that I'd faced in junior college, and I was just hitting a bunch of line drives with aluminum bat. Get out of the cage. They say, next time you get in there, we want you to use a wooden bat. And I'm like, I didn't tell them that I never really had practiced with a wooden bat. This is 1988. I really yeah. hadn't. And yeah. um, so now they're, they're like, you know how to hold it? And I'm like, no, not really. And they're like showing me how to hold the label. And now they're even uh, messing around with my stance. Kind of had my hands in here. They said, we want you to get your hands out here. And these guys that have never seen me play are now, after one round, hitting bullets everywhere, changing my stance. So now I get back in there against another guy. And I was uncomfortable. First pitch I took because I was uncomfortable. Next pitch I hit in the parking lot. Hmm. Um, and just crushed this guy. And then <laughs> and I was just like, what is going on here? You know, I mean. I hit nine home runs that year in college, but I'm not a home run hitter. Now they say, all right, we're going to uh, let you face one more guy. This guy just got released by the Reds. It's six foot nine right-hander, um, those low 90s. And I get in there and I take him deep too. <laughs> and now there's probably 50 or 60 guys at this trout camp. And the guys who are also trying out are coming up to me and like patting me on the back and saying, I mean, it was obvious that I was just having the incredible day, you know, and, the day of my life, you know, at the right time. Yeah. And um, so now they say, hey, we want to invite you to Arlington Stadium in two weeks for our next tryout. I'm like, cool. So I go back to school. Uh, as a weekend, go out on Lake Texoma, skiing behind Dennis Rodman's boat. <laughs> um, Rodman wasn't actually there, but some, the family that took him in, I'm sure you've seen the 30 for 30, took him in. We were friends with them. And so they had his boat. We went out on the lake, skiing. The rope snaps out of my hand. My hand hits the ski bust my fingers open i have to go to the emergency room and get stitches through my fingernail and the tip of my finger and they glue the other my middle finger my left hand and i told the doctor i was like man i got a trout in a week yeah he's like you're not gonna be able to go to that and i was like okay so he leaves the room i go through his i'm not proud of this but i go through his drawers i steal some gauze pads and some rubber gloves put them in my pocket i said well thanks a lot and i left <laughs> went back to school I think it was about a week till the tryout. I couldn't practice. Show up in Arlington Stadium, did the running, the ground balls. The ground balls were killing me. Every ground ball. I mean, I had stitches through my fingernail on the tip of my finger, and I had it wrapped up with gauze, a rubber glove, and a batting glove over that. So I ran to the 60 with a batting glove on. Okay. I get, apparently they didn't notice, but when I was taking ground balls, every ground ball I caught was killing my finger. And I'm like, how am I going to hit? You know? Right. So now I go get in the cage, first swing, the bat flies out of my hand, it's top of the cage. <laughs> I pick it up like it's nothing. I get in there, hit a couple more swings. They could tell I'm not swinging like I was. And they call me out and they're like, what, you know, what happened? I was like, man, I hurt my hand, water skiing. They're like, let's see it. 
So I take off my batting glove, the rubber glove, the gauze pads, and they see that I have the stitches through my fingernail. Uh. And they say, well, obviously you want to play pretty bad. They said, go home, get your hand ready. We're going to draft you. And then they drafted me in the 30th round and I signed for two grand. So big money, big money, big money. Get out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got my girlfriend awesome. some, some tires, and I think there was no money left after that. Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to get to my spring training site, right? Yeah, thank yeah. goodness. I had to fly to beat Montana. <laughs> That's really cool. Okay, so, you, so now you've been drafted. Uh, how old were you when you got drafted? I was uh, 21. 21. And then for yeah. our listeners, you mentioned you, you weren't, you're not a very big guy. What's your size? Uh, five nine. I really played five nine one sixty. Okay, so five nine one sixty. You're hitting tanks. You're hitting line drives all over the place. Probably, do you, when you get into pro ball, did you notice right away? Like, man, these guys are pretty big. Was it? Was there any like, do I yes. maybe I don't belong here? Was there any of those thoughts? Yeah, a lot of those thoughts. A lot of those thoughts. I mean, I. Yeah, I thought I was one of the worst players on our team the first year. I mean, all these dudes are hitting 350, and, you know, I, I had to learn how to hit with a wooden bat. I bet I broke 30 bats my first year in short season. Did you they know? not have bomb bats then? No, no. We had pro <laughs> stock. You know, we'd get a bat order, and it'd be like a Tony Gwynn 32-inch model, and then like a P89 34, 34, and you had to just whatever you could scavenge, you know, and that's what yeah. we used it. And uh, no bat, your own bat orders, none of that kind of garbage. And I ended up, I ended up going that year at one stretch, zero for thirty-seven. Wow! And I was like, man, this, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. Right. And then I ended up, you know, kind of figuring it out a little bit, and ended up hitting two eighty-six my first year in short season in the Pioneer League, which, you know, honestly, is not that good. I mean, we had guys hitting three ninety, mm-hmm. you know, and so. Um, Next year, go to spring training. Um, we Our other second baseman that was on our team in Butte, he was a higher draft pick, left-handed hitter, really good hitter. Not as good defensively and not as fast as me, but he could hit. Okay. And um, so going into low A ball, Gastonia, he's the starting second baseman. And I'm the utility guy that only plays second. Honestly, I played a little short in college, but right. I mean, I didn't have the arm strength. to Not play a short. true utility guy? No, no. And I was like, what kind of utility guy only plays second base? I play sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first game of the season, our starting second baseman breaks his finger on a throw down to second base, stolen base attempt. I step in and lead the league in hitting. Nice. Um, won the batting title. Next year, then I get to go to instructionally for the first time. Okay. The first year I didn't get to, you know, because I wasn't a prospect. Yeah. And the next year I was like, man, I – want to go to instructionally. Can I please go to instructionally? So I go to instructionally, do well there, do, you know, hit okay in the Florida State League. Uh, when I was in the Florida State League, it was not a hitter's league, man. Mm. The ball was just, the ball didn't carry. Um, it, it was, the, and the air was just so thick. And yeah, I don't know if I even hit a home run. I might hit one home run in the Florida State League, but hit like 270. Um, next year, go to double A after this is really the turning point for me. In double A, I was hitting about 230 after two months of the season. And um, we're in Wichita, Kansas. And my roommate was Rick Rona. Rick Rona played three or four years in the big leagues as a catcher. And um, older guy on our team. And we're just goofing around at the hotel after a game one night. 
and I'm imitating Ruben Sierra and Juan <laughs> Gonzalez and all these Rangers with a big leg kick, you know, yeah. and it's not how I hit in the game. And I'm um, just killing the ball. We're playing like wiffle ball. And he goes, why don't you hit like that in a game? I was like, why not? Why Next not? day I went to the field and it was a rainy day. So we didn't have time for BP. They had a tarp on the field. So I really didn't get any practice. And I went from kind of a spread out stance with my hands out in front, straight up stance like Steve Garvey, hands here, and raise my leg a foot in the air and put it right back down. Okay. First game I went one for four, but hit a home run foul. Good signs. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. And I, I went from that point in the season, it was at least two months if not further into the season, to leading our team in, I think, 10 offensive categories, hmm. 300, bunch of doubles, triples, um, stolen bases. Um, didn't make the all-star team initially, but somebody got hurt. So I re- was a replacement in the all-star game. MVP of the all-star game, four for five. <laughs> Went to winter ball, voted most popular player in Venezuela, hit 300. Rangers put me on the 40-man. Next year... Uh, so I go to big league camp, should have made the team. I had a great spring. Um, next year, I played the first 89 games in Oklahoma City, hit 300. I had over 100 hits and um, got called up to the big leagues. That's awesome. So the leg kick. So that <laughs> the leg kick helped you get in a better position to hit, would you say? Gave me more leverage. Okay. You know, I, I always could hit – I could always make contact. Even in double A when I was hitting 230, I was making contact. But a lot of the – balls that I was hitting in a ball that were hits were not hits in double a you know the defense is better the outfielders are running stuff down I can't (laughs) drive it through the gap you know and and once I got that leg kick and started hitting against the firm front side I could really drive the ball a lot harder that's all it's so cool how just one little adjustment can can make the world of a difference there so it did yeah so now you're in the big leagues did you have with your career, once you got to the big leagues, were you there for the next eight, nine years? Or did you have up and down where triple A big leagues kind of back and forth? Well, I never got sent down. Mm. I never got sent down. My first year, I got called up and spent the rest of the year there. Next spring training, or next off season, I tore my ACL. Mm-hmm. So I missed the whole season. Yeah. 94, um, and then I went to winter ball again and won the batting title. And then I went um, to spring training in 94. I still had options and all that stuff. And because the guys who had replaced me the year before were still there, I started this season in the minor leagues. You know, I didn't get sent down from the big leagues. I just didn't make the team out of spring training. Then 94, they called me up. I hit 327 in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. Next year, I hit 270. um, And then the Rangers didn't offer me arbitration. um, So I became a free agent. Went with the Tigers to spring training. Um, had a deal where they had to put me on the roster by a certain date. They weren't ready to do it, so I left. Went back to Oklahoma City um, with the Rangers for a couple months. And the, rain, and the Red Sox were having um, trouble at second base. And um, Will Cordero and Jeff Manto were playing second. And a good buddy of mine who's an agent, Billy Martin Jr., happened to represent Kevin Kennedy, who was the manager of the Red Sox. Yeah. And Kevin was my manager with the Rangers for a while. Yep. And so he knew me well. And, and, and Billy goes, the guy you needs in AAA, Oklahoma City. He goes, who? He goes, Fry. So 
I had just, I had just, I think the day before pulled a quad muscle, um, scoring from second on a, on a sack fly mm. to center field. And so I was setting out for a couple of days and my agent calls me and says, Hey, are you all right? You haven't played for a couple of days. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Lying through my teeth. And, um, <laughs> he goes, well, the Red Sox want to bring you to the big leagues. I said, really? And, uh, and of course I'm excited, you know, and he, yeah. the Rangers had the right of first refusal. So they could, they could have called me back, but Johnny Oates didn't like me. He wasn't a fan of me. He was a Macklemore guy. Mm-hmm. And so Mac was doing well. So they didn't call me up. I went right to Boston, walk in Kevin's office. And he goes, why haven't you played? And I said, you want me to BS you or tell you the truth? And he goes, tell me the truth. I said, I messed up my quad three days ago. And he goes, how, how bad? I said, pretty bad, dude. <laughs> I said, pretty bad. Yeah. He goes, what percent are you? And I said, it's probably 60%. I said, but I'll tape it up as tight as I can and give you everything I have. And he goes, well, 60% of you is better than what we have. <laughs> and, that was, and that was like, I think that was June, in the middle of June, maybe yeah. the second week of June. And from that point on in the season, I almost got 500 plate appearances in the big leagues. Wow. And then the next year, um, 97, I had a great year. The following year, they signed me to a three-year contract. Spring training, I tore my other ACL. <laughs> so the two times I got hurt, the, the first time, I mean, major injuries. The first time, I was the Rangers rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, looking, you know, next year was looking good for me. Out. And then – in 97, I just hit 312, had a great year for the Red Sox. Um, Going to be the starting second baseman, leadoff hitter for the Red Sox, and tear my other ACL out for the year. Now, did you do both of them while in the game, like at, while playing? Uh, no, neither one was actually in a game. The first one was playing basketball, mm-hmm. playing basketball in the offseason with Kenny Rogers and Rick Helling and Darren Oliver and I used to go play basketball four or five days a week at the local gym and some dude took me out one time and my knee popped. Yeah. I lied about, I lied about that to the Rangers. I told him that I stepped off a curb. <laughs> um, and then uh, the, the second time it was the rundown drills in spring training. Okay. I went to cut the guy first and third rundowns where the second baseman runs across the field and the runners caught in between home and third. And I go to cut him back to third and Darren Bragg, Darren Bragg spins completely around and I went to cut and my knee just went, Mm. It's so bad. Darren Bragg screamed when he heard it. It was so bad. <laughs> but I mean, I missed, you know, those two years. I mean, I think I could have easily gotten 10 years in. Um, yeah. I still got credit for those years, but, you know, coming back from that and having to regain your footing, you know, yeah. your position back, it's kind of tough to do. Absolutely. So when you were at the Red Sox, you played with a lot of good players what kind of conversations did you have with maybe, maybe some of these big names about hitting and, and maybe approach and maybe mental approach? Really very little, man. I, mm-hmm. I swear. I mean, you yeah. think, you know, you'd think there would be a lot more conversation about that stuff, <laughs> but we all just did different things. Yeah. You know, the one guy that I remember talking to me about hitting all the time was John Valentin. And Val was just so cerebral about this. And he's like, you knew when Val was coming toward your locker that you're about to be sitting there for 20 minutes hearing about Val's four at-bats 
Okay, okay. so my first at bat. I was thinking, you know, trying to go bridge right here at first pitch, but I was thinking he might throw me a slider, and it's just like, <laughs> all right, you don't want to be a jerk. So you sit there and listen, listen, listen. And, but I never really um, talked much to my teammates about hitting. If I was in a funk, you know, I'd go to Jim Rice or I'd yeah. go look at some video. And, um, I mean, I had some great hitting coaches over the years, uh, Rudy Jadamillo, Clint Hurdle, Jim Rice. Um, and I didn't totally agree on hitting philosophies, but I loved him as a coach. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, really not a lot of just sitting around. I mean, the guys that I played with, I mean, I played with so many great players that they all just did it different. You know, one of the examples I use in – in 2000, um, I got traded to the Rockies from the Red Sox. And I was playing uh, with Nomar in the American League, who won the batting title in the American League that year. Nomar was incredible. Nomar, yeah. I've never seen anybody hit like Nomar. Nomar could hit a first pitch, anything. Knuckleball, slider, get me over curve, cutter, sinker, fastball, like he knew it was coming. And I've yeah, never he, seen anything. He was like always that. up there hacking first pitch, right? I yes. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't trying to walk, I can tell you that. Yeah. And then I go to National League to the Rockies, and Todd Helton hits 372 and wins the batting title in National League. And Helton was completely opposite. Helton was hunting for a fastball, you know, and he was thinking. I mean, left-handed hitter, so he's thinking left center. He hit the ball better the opposite way, you know, better than anybody I'd ever seen. And mm -hmm. left-handed hitter, maybe Mo Vaughn, but, I mean, he was just – you threw him a fastball middle away, up and away, he's crushing that thing over the fence in left field, you know, and just two completely opposite approaches. And that's kind of my argument with yeah. what's going on on social media. Right. Because what I'm seeing is these guys teaching a swing. Now, I don't know if nobody ever talked to me about my swing – because I never really failed miserably mm. to where they felt like they had to change it, right. you know? Um, and I could see why sometimes people want to change their swings or whatever. But for me, I was a line drive ground ball hitter and I'd done it my whole life and I was successful at it. So why change it? Okay. But now I hear them talk about the swing and you can watch a game, a major league game, and you're not going to see two guys hit the same, mm -hmm. you know? And Somehow they were all successful or they wouldn't be playing on TV, you know? And so to be teaching kids that you have to do these certain movements, um, the scap load and snap it and drop it into the slot and all these things that these guys are teaching to me is, I mean, I think it's hilarious <laughs> because it's so wrong. The opposite of what you and I both know that we learned in our, in our lives playing the game. It, it seems like a lot. You know, rather than we always talked about the kiss method, right? Just just keep it mm -hmm. simple, stupid. And whether a step and hit, get your hands to the ball, down through the ball. And so one of the things that I laugh at in and, and I because I just don't understand it. I don't see if, if this is my barrel, how that I think they call it, you know, getting the barrel on plane behind you. Right. And then I think our mindset would have been more well, the plane of the ball coming in and where my swing gets into the zone maybe starts more around the middle of my body out front, not mm -hmm. behind my body. And maybe I'm misunderstanding what they're teaching, but I'm like, I've tried it. I'm like, I'm going to go try some of these methods just at the cage while I go hit with my kid. And I'm like, I, it feels slow. You know, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't know. But then I'll try to do what I think is right. 
I'm like, the ball's jumping off that way, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't, maybe have you dabbled with that with your, with your fishing net? No, I mean, I've, you know, I've imitated it a few times, but uh, I mean, I remember coaching my kids in little league and you just see those kids. The first thing they do is get their bat back and start coming around back. You know, it's like, well, you can hit the catcher every time you swing. Well, I mean, we're trying for catcher's interference here. Right. You know, and, and what I was always taught and why I was a good fastball hitter. I could hit anybody's fastball because I was short to the ball. Yeah. And I went from right here to right there in front, you know. And I don't know if you can see that, but from right here mm-hmm. straight to the ball. Okay. And I didn't and worry you're, about – You're thinking hating. Yeah, hands. Right. I'm getting my hands. I'm getting this backhand right here right to the baseball. Okay, as quick as I can. And I'm not trying to swing hard. I'm trying to swing quick. Mm-hmm. And especially the harder they threw, the quicker I had to be. And, and one of the keys for me was being as relaxed as possible. Yeah. When my hands were loose and relaxed, I was so much quicker than when I gripped the bat tight and tried to muscle up and it just slows you down. And it was just like, all I got to do is get this barrel to Roger Clemens' 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and I'm hitting it hard somewhere. Doesn't matter. I'm not trying to hit it in the air. I'm just going to try to hit it hard every time I'm at the plate. Yeah. So you got in your stance, picked up your foot, about a foot, and then just took your hands to the ball. And put my foot right back down. Yeah. I really, I mean, I look at some, I've been goofing around with some of my old videos and stuff because I love putting them on Twitter and messing with these guys, (laughs) telling me how crappy I was. So I've been, here the last couple of days, I've been doing that a lot. And a lot of the, the mistakes I see where I make is when I'm going forward. Yeah, you know, but I had good hand-eye coordination. So a lot of times when I'm going forward, even though I'm going forward, my hands are still staying back. My hands aren't going with me. Then I got mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, so you still a got lot that of times I would separation. be fooled. I'd be fooled out front, but my hands were back, and I could still yeah. put the ball in play, which was what I was trying to do: put the ball in play. I wasn't trying to hit home runs. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, and it's and I mean, kids are going to listen. You know, it's it's what's available online, and so in a way, I think part of what I'm trying to do as well is, is maybe counter, have a counterbalance toward that and, and let other, let other hitting, hitting kids and how they're hitting know that that's, that may be a way for you. It might work if you're a really big, strong guy, but if you're, I mean, I'm a very average size player. I was six two about one ninety. Um, I mean, there's guys that are, I was that average. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like now there's, now there's six four two forty playing center field. You know, and mm-hmm. Mike Trout, 6'2", 240, just flying all over the place. <laughs> yeah, runs a four flat to first from the right side. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's just letting, letting kids know that it's not the only way, that there, there are other ways. And I've seen it. Um, I think if you go to a batting cage and you're, you see more of a professional that played at a higher level, probably is teaching what you and I know. And, mm-hmm. and I know guys here locally, we have guys like Bill Madlock, uh, Mike Eastler, uh, these were big league oh, yeah. hitting coaches, yeah. Yeah. right? The hitmen. And great, and great hitters. Great hitters, plus they know it, right? And mm-hmm. teaching what you and I know. So I think it's just important to let these kids know that, hey, that's probably not going to work. Trying to hit the ball up in the air as a 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old might not be the best approach here. You know, let, let's just learn how to hit first. Right. And I'll tell you one thing that's come out of all this two things really i've come i've connected with so many of my old friends and teammates yeah. through this thing um 
real cool story I'll tell you real quick. There's one other thing I want to tell you about the, what's come out of this, but I'm good friends with a guy named Colonel Craig Flowers. Um, we met, it's kind of a long story how we met, but anyway, he's on the Twitter, and I have another friend of mine that I played college ball with that's on the Twitter deal. And so somebody commented about, I put a, uh, Flowers and I go fishing a lot. So I posted a video of him catching a big fish. Right. But my buddy Merck commented about Flowers. Come to find out they both grew up in the same part of New York, kind of out in the country, and they played against each other. Merck's brother played against Colonel Flowers. No way. And so now they've communicated. I, I gave them each other's numbers, and now, you know, they grew up in the same neighborhood and remember all the guys who were the, you know, the best athletes in high school and stuff and just little stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. That's come out of this, but, um, the other thing is the, the, the outpour from high school coaches, college coaches and guys in pro ball, even some front office executives that have reached out to me and said, thank you for doing what you're doing. This, there's a problem in our game. There's too many guys in this game coaching at the professional level that have never played that um, are messing guys up. They're, they don't last very long, but there's guys who played this game who would love to be coaching that aren't coaching right now because right. they can't get jobs. And some guy who teaches biomechanics or this and that is getting paid 300 grand to coach in the minor leagues when we know minor league coaches make 50 grand. Yeah. Guys that play 10 years, you know, and it's like that's part of the problem. But also these college coaches are saying, listen, we fight this battle all the time. See, our guys, we get them locked in. They go home for Christmas break. They go work with one of these hitting gurus. The next thing you know, their swings change. We got to fix them or they never, they never recover, never get back to where they are. And in their minds, these guys are ruining kids' swings and ruining their approaches to hitting because they're all thinking, well, now we all got to hit home runs. And, you know, I mean, not everybody's a home run hitter. Well, let me give you an example. Because we, we, have, we have different machines now, because this just kind of helped trigger my mind on what you just said. You, you and I, when we went to the cage, we, just, we went to get our work done, right? We took our swings, whatever our routine was, we felt good about it. Now they all have iPads, they all have machines that measure every single swing that they take from the, like the batting practice pitchers throwing, they hit a ball, and then they look up at the screen, Oh, sweet. 25 launch degree launch angle. I just hit it 420 feet. Awesome. That was against a BP pitcher. When you take that same approach into the game, now you're looping up through the ball goes over your bat and you never make contact. That's why you're hitting 180. Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're teaching the groove. You've heard this term. They're teaching the groove swing. Yeah. Okay. Put that T on the middle, put it about three foot and then, crush every one of those and if the yeah. pitcher throws it there you got a pretty good chance you're going to hit it hard but the, ob the pitcher's job is to not throw it there and yeah. the higher you get the less frequently they're going to throw it there and we both seen guys we both played with guys who had beautiful swings I mean I play I'm not going to name guys that didn't make it or um, that had just you know you just picture perfect swing you're like man I wish I had a swing like that but mm -hmm. then when they got to the highest level they couldn't hit you yeah. know, and you see guys with goofy-looking swings. Look at Hunter Pence, right. you know? I mean, right. and he just finds a way to get the barrel of the ball, and that's all you have to do. Get the barrel of the ball consistently. Hit the ball more consistently hard than anybody else. Yeah. And they're going to fall in. 
you know, it, you, you said the groove swing, that, that's literally a checkbox, you know, and we're scouting players in the hitting category. There's a groove checkbox. Do I, you know, and I'm, I'm checking that more, more recently than, than I have in the past, you know, and I'm noticing right. for me, you know, and, and I was, I, I had a crappy big league career, but I, I did a lot of good positive things in the minor leagues, um, had some swing changes, things like that. But I, I wanted to always make sure I could handle the high fastball. Right. And mm-hmm. so, if I'm swinging at up at all to the baseball, I would never be able to handle a high fastball. So I wanted to work top down because I felt it the easier it was to handle the high fastball. I can easily handle the, the mid high fastball to the lower fastball knee length. Um, but then we saw pitchers, right? Now pitchers started to see, well, let, let's throw the ball up because everyone is swinging up. And then we started mm-hmm. to see a dip in hitting. So right. let me ask you this as an advisor, I'm assuming you have quite a few position players. Do they come to you and ask you, hey, Jeff, you, you hit this way. I'm being taught this way. Is, are there any issues there? Uh, not really that much. I mean, if, if, if somebody's teaching something off the wall, then, you know, they'll call me and stuff. I usually don't interfere with the amateur players. Okay. I mean, I really won't. I mean, I'm generally not going to go tell a guy how to do stuff unless they ask me. Right. You know, I mean – until they failed, I mean, they wouldn't be a prospect if they couldn't do it at this point, you know. And so um, usually the guys I'm going after are guys that are already going to be prospects or draft guys. So I don't really have to do a lot of coaching. Um, in the past, I've talked to guys, and we used to represent uh, the company that represented Ian Kinsler. And I've talked to Ian at times about things because I always felt like when he was using the whole field, he was more of a complete hitter rather than trying to turn on everything and um but for you know Ian's not a big guy he had a tremendous power and tremendous career but I always felt like he would stay on the ball longer um if he would focus at times on staying the other way yeah um so but I mean I don't really go out of my way to to tell guys unless they ask and I don't have all the answers I mean you know I I just know what worked for me and my approach was pretty simple look for a fastball. I, I mean, I look for a fastball 99.9% of the time. And um, it just depends um, what the count was. I would change my approach with two strikes to still looking fastball, but now I'm going to cover middle away. And if you throw me your best fastball, I'm going to hit it to right center, or at least think I am. And then that way I can stay back long enough to um, hit the off-speed pitches. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, that's what we've all been taught, right? And it's when you kind of start to learn, when, when you're t- teaching that to, say, young high school age kids, they still, their mindset is, I'm looking middle in. I'm going to try to pull it down the line because I want to hit a homer to left field, obviously, if you're a right-handed hitter. And it, it can work a little bit. Some, some of those big hitters get up on the plate, and they can turn and burn. But, man, as soon as they get to college, and they, they're not really that complete hitter yet, they start to see a lot of failure at that next level. And then they're kind of shrugging their shoulders. They're not sure, man, do I suck this bad or do I just not know how to hit? Right. Uh, I was lucky because um, I always hit the ball the other way. Even in high school and college, I rarely pulled the ball. Um, And so when I got to pro ball, it was really weird, man. It was like now I could turn on pitches inside that before I was inside outing to the opposite field. And I don't know. I mean, and the funny thing is, is nobody ever told me to start doing that. You just kind of react. I mean, that's the thing about hitting 
is you, it's a reaction. Yep. Okay. And you can say whatever you want about all these keys about loading this and doing <laughs> this. When the ball is on the way, you are reacting. You don't have time to think about all this other garbage. Okay. You can work on all that stuff and practice and BP, but when you step in that batter's box, you can't have anything else on your mind other than seeing the ball and hitting it hard. No doubt. Yeah, at least yeah. that, that's what worked for me. I mean, yeah. why make it any harder than that, right? Right. And now we're just, you know, we're overcomplicating things, I think. And guys who played pro ball aren't, over, not many of them have crossed over to the side where they believe in all this new stuff. Some of them have. You know, yeah. but for the most part, the guys who played this game at a high level um, are teaching what they learned and what worked for them. Maybe a few adjustments here and there, but not overall revamping to where you're going to completely, you know, drop your elbow in the slot and snap it. Snap it. That's the thing. <laughs> snap it. <laughs> I mean, that snap it thing where he does like this, I was like, how can you hit him? Yeah. You have no power. So I mean, so your front knob's going to go straight up that way, right? Yeah. I mean, can you believe some of these things? They have a fishing net, they've got a spatula, they've got the PVC so, pipe. So let's talk about that. So wait, back to your videos. So are you are you basing some of that your your material like I've seen a guy with a literally a fishing net. I've seen with yep. I've seen the PVC pipes kind of you know, kind of working your posture, you know, there, there, there's some things that in a way make sense, but like, does that really happen in the swing? So tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, basically all, all the videos I've made pretty much have been things I've seen except for the plunger. I don't know if you saw the plunger. I, I, didn't. I haven't seen the plunger. The one I just laughed at, like cackled out loud was on your the back you're laying straight oh, yeah. back <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one that, there was a few takes on that one i was getting too much blood to my head on that one but uh, <laughs> i was like all right i can't teach myself i just can't make myself swing up so maybe if i'm upside down it'll i me swinging down will be swinging up and then, right right yeah a bit but most of the videos are things that i've actually seen okay um being taught and i mean i I can see where using the PVC a little bit for the, you know, just getting the feeling of turning your body. I could kind of see that one, how that could help. Right. But the snap it and the, this abbreviated swing where they get here and stop. I mean, I don't know how, I don't understand what that is teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and and, and that, I, what I've kind of seen in a, I haven't like fully researched it, but in just kind of looking at it a little bit, obviously, this hitting guru here, this guy here. I think too, I've even seen like, there, there's one guy that maybe teaches a certain philosophy and then he'll sell a whole certification, right? <laughs> to teach these, these movements, but it's like he has a patent on it or something. For $999, you can get certified. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's comedy. I mean, you can be driveline certified, rap soto certified, uh, I love Marvin Freeman. He's always like, Hey man, I've been, I played 10 years in the big leagues. And I've been given lessons for, for 20 years. How do I get certified? Right. Know? Right. I mean, well, you know, one, one of the things I've noticed, you know, we've seen Christian Yelich just start to mm -hmm. go off. Um, and, and I think if you, I'm, I'm good friends with a, a scout here that works for the Brewers. And we talked about, he really, once he got to the Brewers, he didn't make a whole lot of adjustments with 
from the Marlins to the Brewers, rather than he actually, from my understanding, he was conscious of, he wanted to be a little bit flatter to the baseball, right? Which mm-hmm. would, would interpret us that it's going to go this way, not completely down and up and through. So the result of that has been, dude, you're an MVP. <laughs> right? Almost almost twice. Yeah. And got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And, you know, I've seen videos with Mike Trout. He did one with A-Rod. And, and Mike Trout talks about, you know, if you were to watch him on video, it doesn't look like he's swinging down to the ball. But when, you're, when you take your stride, right, and your body starts to open – and you start to swing down, if, you're, if that's your thought, your hands are just going to the ball, it can give off that illusion of, no, oh, no, he's, he's dropping his back shoulder, trying to get on plane, up, up through the baseball, when all, all he's doing, he's just trying to hit down through the baseball, and he's just turning and going through it. So, mm-hmm. so they're trying to teach off of what they're seeing, you know, and you and I would say, well, I, I'm, my approach, my thought is to go down through the baseball. That's what I feel. But when you do it the opposite way and you teach off of, well, look at the video or look at the angle of this video, that's not what his body's doing. It's, it's just interesting. Right. Well, I have two things to say about that. One of them is um, what they say is, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, it's feel versus real. Okay. Yep. So you feel, you feel like you're swinging down, but if you look the video and you slow it down enough, you're actually not. So let's teach everybody the, what you're actually doing and try and hit that way. So just think if you thought you were swinging up, how much you would really be swinging up. Right. Right. You know? so that's, I think that's the point. Are you trying to swing up to the ball? Right. And that's what I, when I went in into the cage and swung up the ball, it was awful. Right. Mm-hmm. It was loopy up, ball straight up in the net. I don't know. It's just interesting, like MLB Network and different people like Jim Tomei, uh, Chipper Jones yeah. did a video talked about really old school like yeah I just get in the cage I go down through the ball I want to backspin it to the back of the cage I don't want the ball up in the air but when you go watch and Freddie Freeman said the same thing but when you watch Mm -hmm. Freddie it looks like he's swinging straight up but Uh, he's not (laughs) no No, and that's the absurdity of this argument is because Chipper Jones has been in on some of these arguments right Kevin Euclid you know I mean, yeah. a lot – I'm not going to put all the guys out there, but a lot of guys who had great careers are completely saying the opposite of what these guys who didn't play are saying, but yeah. yet we're the idiots. We don't know what we're talking about. As a hitter, I know the balls. I didn't hit a lot of home runs in my career, like 16. I get reminded of that like every day that I'm a Judy. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you some of the balls that I hit the best in my career were balls down and in that all I did was drop the head. Mm-hmm. You just react, okay? I'm not looking down and in. I'm looking middle away, and the guy comes in, and he doesn't have enough velocity, and I drop the head and hit a homer or smoke one down the line, okay? That, to me, that's what they're teaching, okay? As long as these pitchers are throwing the ball down and in on you and you're dropping down there, you got a good shot at hitting the ball hard. But the problem is, you know, at the big league level, they get you out away. Everybody's pitching away. They come in. Sometimes, you know, for effect, but they're getting you out away. So why are we teaching everybody to swing on the pitch that's down and in that you just react on and try and, and mold our swings around this one particular swing path? 
It yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, big, and even I think big league pitchers would probably admit too, like it would be – it's really hard to throw three or four fastballs on the inner half, you know, in a row. You know, Plus, you, the, you know, it, I mean, I know the ball's a, a little livelier these days than yeah. when we played. Um, but pitchers don't want to go inside unless they've got, you know, some serious gas. Because right. those are the pitches that ends up in the seats. Mm-hmm. Those pitches away, the guys might get base hits, but generally they're not hitting them out of the ballpark. You miss in, you better freaking miss way in or dudes, you know, who have power are going to do some damage on you. So pitchers, all the way back from when I played, I mean, the guys who I least like to face are the guys who would pitch inside. Yeah. You know, because that's how they got me out consistently. That's why in a lot of the videos that I've posted, I'm way off the plate. I didn't even realize I was that far off the plate a lot of times. But it's because I knew I could cover away. But the pitch that gave me trouble was fastball in on the hands or fastball two-seamer running in on me. And I broke a lot of bats on pitches like that. So I figured I'd have to I'd take that pitch away from these guys make that inside corner to the middle of the plate and the outside corner I could cover to the other way, you know? And so, I mean, that's just kind of the thing that I didn't realize I was standing, looked like three feet off the frigging plate. Some of these videos <laughs> over When you stood off the plate, did you, were you a diver? Did you dive in a little bit? A little bit, a little yeah. bit, but, but I moved around the box. Okay. Normally I would get, if I'm leading off a game, I'm going the very back of the box as far as I can get back. I figured, the farther I get back, the more time I have to hmm. see the ball. Okay, now if a guy had a nasty curveball that would break kind of out front, I would move up in the box. If the guy was a, a Scott Erickson type guy who threw a bowling ball sinker, who almost broke three of my bats in one game, by the way, <laughs> I would move off the plate. Okay, yeah. if I'm in a hit and run situation or a situation where I need to hit a ground ball to the right side, I'm moving off the plate because I know. They're going to try and pitch me in. Well, I got to take that away from them. So I know I can hit that pitch um, to the right side as long as it's not too far in. If it's too far in, I know it's a ball because I'm off the dish. Right. Okay. So That's I, awesome, man. I bet a quarter of my hits were through the four hole. Yeah. So would you, get, would you get shifted if you were playing in today? Would they have quite a shift on you? I think they would. I mean, some teams shifted me in the outfield, not so much in the infield. If there was a real hard thrower on the mound, I remember hitting a line drive in old Comiskey Park off Roberto Hernandez, who threw mid to upper 90s, and I smoked the line drive. It seemed like it was right over Frank Thomas's head, and there's Davey <laughs> Martinez standing about three foot. I thought I had a triple when I hit it, and he's just standing there, a can of corn, you know. Uh. But, but I, I, I know the type of hitter I was that if they shifted on me, I would, I would be able to take advantage of it because hit and run was my specialty. Let me tell you this story real quick. Hit and run was my specialty. With Kevin Kenny was a manager in Boston, I approached Kevin and I said, how do you feel about letting me put on my own hit and run? Um, and, he, you know, he probably never had a player ask him that before. I was like, <laughs> here's the deal. I said, runner on first, first and second. Every single time I come up in that situation, I want to hit and run because I'm trying to hit a ground ball. If the infielders are moving, I have a better chance of getting that ball through the infield. Right. So he allowed me with Darren Bragg and a few other guys, uh, Darren Lewis, I would have a sign. If, I get, if I'm coming up and Darren Bragg's on first base, I go to home plate and I want to hit and run. Doesn't have to be on the first pitch or whatever, but I would uh, 
grab my cup and look at Braggy and Braggy kind of look away and grab his helmet. I'd, he'd know, we'd both know that the hit and run was on. And I bet I did it one year 30 times Wow. in a season. Okay, it didn't work every time, but it worked at a very high percentage. Mm -hmm. And Kevin let me do that until one time I accidentally put it on and Bra or Braggy thought I accidentally put it on and I didn't and we screwed it up and he said, all right, that's it. But Grabbing what I would do, too much. Yeah, yeah, apparently. <laughs> you, know, you know how uncomfortable those things are. But what I would do is before I came up, I would watch the middle infielders, okay? And I would see if there's a run on first, who was covering the base? Who was shifting over? Brian, a hitter, who's a second baseman shaded toward first and a shortstop more up the middle. That way they might cross it up on a hit and run type situation. So going to home play, I knew if I put a hit and run on, at least I had, a, I think, a high percentage of knowing which one of the middle infielders was going to cover the base. And if I thought it was a shortstop, I would try to roll one over to the left side. Right. If I thought it was the second baseman, I tried to hit it closer to first base. So you had crazy back control. Yes. I mean, and the thing for me was getting on top of the ball, the barrel on top of the ball. I had a hit and run one time, neck high pitch that I hit like this and hit a 30 hopper that barely made the outfield grass and we got first and third. Mm -hmm. So I was trying, you know, I'm sure you were taught the same way. A pitch up here, you don't hit like this. You hit your barrel on top of it, barrel on top of your hands and just try to chop down on it. Yeah. And I, I did that many, many times. Yeah, I mean, you get the high fastball. If we're trying to get on plane with the pitch, high fastball, that barrel's got to still be up here, right, to get to it. it can't, you can't drop it and go up underneath it. It's, that's the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. And, yeah. and that's one of the new, the new phrases, you know, get on plane, which I never heard in my career. No. Well, and, I and I think get on plane makes sense if, but you can't start by swinging up at it, right? If you get a high fastball, you'll never hit that. So, so I think that's maybe where there's some differences, right? Where I can get on plane with that high fastball with staying on top. In the middle, I can still stay on top, and I think get on plane. And then maybe down low, that might be a little bit different. But like you were saying, on the inside corner, all I did was drop the head. And, mm -hmm. and without – I just hit a home run without even trying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's – right. It's, it's interesting, yeah. Without even thinking about it. And that's right. the thing. You don't think about it. You just react. And sometimes yeah. they say, how would you do that? And you're like, I have no idea. Yeah. I just reacted. I mean, what do we have? What's the, the amount of time you have? Like four uh, tenths of a second from the time the guy lets the ball go to yeah. when you have to decide. Or, to you know. <laughs> no, I mean, you can't be thinking about you know, loading everything. And, you know, yeah. the one thing I heard guys mention before was, if a guy has a good sinker to try and hit below the ball. Yeah. And some guys could do that. And I could yeah. see that, but I never was able to do that. I never tried. I mean, I was just, and that's probably why those guys gave me more trouble than anybody else. I hit a lot of ground balls mm -hmm. off sinker guys, but as long as I hit it hard, I had a chance of being a hit anyway. Yeah. And I think that's too, where from a, a mindset and your approach, maybe that's when you do make an adjustment and think, Oh, okay. This guy is known for his sinker. Maybe I do need to get launch. I, I hate launching. I hate that term, but not as much down, but maybe more. I'm going to swing a little bit more up at this pitch than I would normally. And that's mm -hmm. cool. That's how you would make an adjustment. I think that makes perfect sense. Right. And you know who gets to do that, right? The guys who are secure in their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> Me, yeah. I, I wasn't secure in my job till I signed a three-year contract. Yeah. I was never secure. And so, you know, the guys who are the stars and the, and the, the guys who are, you know, no doubt going to have 10 years in the big leagues, they can experiment with stuff. When you're fighting for your life every day and you're only as good as your last game, you can't be tinkering around with a whole lot of crap. You got to no. do what you know and go with what you, what helps you get there. And not much time for playing around. Like perfect example, spring training. Okay, the guys who are trying to make the team, they ain't working on crap. They ain't no. working on their new sinker or their new changeup. Yeah. They're out trying to get out so they can make the team. But the guys, you know, that that have been there for eight years and they're number two starter, they're working on stuff. Mm-hmm. they don't care about results so there's two different groups of, and some of yeah. us are in the middle of both of those you know so it's you know i didn't spend a whole lot of time tinkering and practicing <laughs> stuff to see if it worked i just had to go with what, what i knew worked for me yeah, you better have figured it out before you got to spring training right in, right, in the right. off season like if i'm gonna mess with something it's gonna it better be now yeah well, once so, you get in the game time once you get in game time you know how it is yeah you're not thinking about nothing but 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 hitting the ball hard and doing your job no doubt no doubt well i have taken up a lot of your time this has been absolutely awesome uh, i love hitting i love hitting from all hearing from all different kinds of players you know different eras you're i think you're about 10 years older than i was so um, but i remember watching you and just hitting rockets all over the place and i think this is so cool in regards to what you've done with with shigong hitting yeah. and so yeah. i i think it's a great you can make that a great brand and you said the website, do you know what the, is that going to be Shigon, like hitting.com or what are you going to do yep. with anything? That's exactly what it is. And I think it will probably, hopefully be up tomorrow. I don't know if you can see this. You're going to sell some, yeah. Are we, we going to get some merch? Is that what we're, do, we're doing? Shigon hitting t-shirts should go on the market hopefully tomorrow. Beautiful. Shirt right here. I have a, a gray and a black. That's okay. our logo. Perfect. Well, we'll help. We'll help get that out for you. Awesome, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, do you have any? Uh, you got the draft coming up. You got any, uh, any, any guys in the draft that could possibly go? Yeah, I have. Nah, probably. I mean, when they narrowed it down to five rounds, <laughs> yeah, it's 150 players. So little tough. There's, yeah, there's over 400 agencies. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And 24 first rounders are with the Boris Corporation. So right, <laughs> kind of slim pickings. But um, I got a few guys. I don't know. You know, this has just been a messed up deal all around with the virus and these poor guys you know my son my youngest son lost his senior season yep. baseball um and some of them my guys lost their year their seasons in college and you know luckily they'll have eligibility come back next year hopefully we we'll get back to normal and um ah, we'll see what good. happens good well jeff i appreciate your time man best of luck to you in the draft and like i said we'll help get this word out and hopefully we just keep continue to get some the creativity is I'm sure going to get crazier and crazier <laughs> as we go through this. But I appreciate you making us laugh, man. This has been great. Uh, you're welcome, man. I appreciate you having me on, Chad. I enjoyed right. it. Okay, best of luck to you. We'll talk to you soon. Th- thanks. Okay, buddy. All right. Okay.